Okay, so this is the next in our series of talks um, about encounters with, uh, with, with Jesus. Last week, we were thinking about two fishy miracles uh, that Jesus performed on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this week, we're going back there for another four miracles, uh, one of which is so well known that it's become almost a byword, um, a phrase that people use when they're asked to do something which is completely impossible. But it is also a miracle that's often used to poke fun at the Christian faith. But I think the only version of Christianity that it really undermines is that version that some people practice, which is the one which recognises only that Jesus was a good man and not the eternal Son of God. Which miracle am I talking about? It's Jesus walking on water. Now, walking on water is impossible, of course, uh, just like all the other miracles. But sceptics seem to be more willing to um, give the benefit of the doubt to the healing miracles, uh, I think, more so than, than this particular uh, one. I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, but if Jesus is actually who he claimed to be, the, the God who created all things, then it's been said before, but miracles aren't only a possibility, really, they are something which we should expect. Anyway, let's read the passage. So I'm reading from Matthew, chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. I'm reading from the NIV version. And we're going to start, just for the sake of connection, in verse 20, which just gives us the... Um, the event which went immediately before this. And it's worth keeping that one in mind. So Matthew 14 and verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. 
Okay, so this event, as you saw from the uh, first couple of verses, followed the feeding of the 5,000. And earlier in the chapter, um, before that, we learn that Jesus had just um, heard about uh, his friend, uh, his relative, and the one that he considered to be the greatest of the prophets. He just found out that um, Herod had executed him. And it says that he was looking for a solitary place, presumably so he could grieve and, 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 and pray in, in, in private. But the crowds followed him. And rather than sending them away, it says that he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. And of course, at the end of the day, um, rather than doing what the disciples wanted him to do, which was just send them all away, he miraculously fed them with virtually nothing. So it's one of many examples, I think, where we find Jesus putting aside his own sorrows for the sake of others in need. And that's the heart of our Saviour, isn't it? But the next day, he planned to go to Bethsaida and the, um, and the area of Gennesaret. And it was going to be another exhausting day, um, I assume, of healing and teaching. And, and, uh, and Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him, across the lake by boat, so that he can have a little bit of time on his own. And he, he goes up a mountainside uh, to spend the night um, with his thoughts and his prayers. We don't know if all the events which, were, which, which um, followed were known to the Lord Jesus in advance. But they certainly provided an opportunity for the disciples to learn a lot more about the identity of Jesus and also a lot more about the kind of faith that they would need to have in their future lives of service. We read that the boat was a considerable distance from land. In the account we find in John's Gospel, it says that it was about three or four miles um, away. It was buffeted by the waves and the wind was against it. Uh, we know from Mark's Gospel that Jesus could see them in the distance, presumably because he'd gone up the mountainside, so he was on an elevated um, position, so Jesus could see them. And actually Mark adds that he could see them straining at the oars. And yet Jesus doesn't go out to them until almost dawn. That reminds us of the occasion we were thinking about last week when we were thinking about Jesus on the shore, um, watching the disciples as they toiled all night, catching nothing. And Jesus had the answer. And Jesus had the power to fill the nets with fish. And yet he didn't intervene immediately. Here Jesus can see the disciples straining at the oars, making no progress against the wind. And once again, he doesn't intervene immediately. It's easy for us, looking back now, to see how these experiences were all part of the ongoing development of the knowledge and trust and understanding of the disciples and how it um, helped them to grow in their faith. We can see that now looking back and actually we can probably look back at events in our own life in the past 
and see how the Lord used them to either help us or for the, the benefit of, of other people. But when we're going through something, it's often um, a lot harder, isn't it? When the Lord seems to be slow or unwilling to answer our prayers or why he's letting us go through experiences that we would perhaps rather not. And it can be hard, can't it? But we have to trust that he always has a purpose and no matter how distant he might seem to be to us, uh, he can always see, he always knows um, exactly what we're struggling with. But then came the fear, the fear. I imagine that some in the boat um, were more concerned than others about the difficulty they were in. Um, and that's true today, isn't it? Some people seem to be better than others at coping with things. Um, maybe because they've had different life experiences. Maybe they're just stronger in their character or faith for, uh, for, for, for other reasons. But some people just seem to be better at coping. Uh, and so, in Romans 15, it says that those who are strong should bear with the failings of the weak. Not get annoyed with them, or exasperated, or frustrated, but those who are strong should bear with the failings of the weak. It, it says likewise in um, Thessalonians 5 that encouraging one another and building each other up is something that we should do in the church community, and it says part of that is encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, and being patient with everyone. Now maybe there was a bit of that going on in the boat that night. The likes of Peter, experienced fishermen, used to bad weather at sea, uh, encouraging the others and saying, don't worry, we'll get through this, just, just, just keep on rowing, we will, we will get to the other side. You know, it's easy to be critical and negative when things are going wrong and when it's hard, isn't it? You know that, um, maybe you know that, 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 old comedy series on, 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 on the TV, um, Dad's Army. What was it? Um, Fraser. We're doomed. You know, everything that went wrong and we're doomed. You know, we don't really need people in church who always go around saying we're doomed, don't we? Um, we, need, um, we need encouragers in our churches. We need positive people. We need optimistic people, people who see the silver linings in the many clouds that come along. And we need sensitive people too, people who can see when others are sad or fearful and they can provide a timely word of encouragement or um, support. But in verse 25 we read that when they saw Jesus walking on the water and not knowing it was Jesus at first, it says actually they were all afraid, um, even Peter. Uh, they were all terrified, actually, it says. But the reassurance came to them immediately, didn't it? Jesus said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It was dark, there was danger, they were exhausted, I assume, and um, they were faced with something they didn't understand. I think fear can come to us in, in many um, different ways. 
It doesn't have to be the kind of terror that the disciples experienced when they thought uh, Jesus was a ghost. There might be times in all our lives when we face uncertainty or bad things are going on around us that we, that we, that we um, can't control. That um, feeling that perhaps we've all had at least once in our life, maybe more, um, it's like that feeling in the pit of our stomach, isn't it? If you look up, you, you can look that up in the dictionary and it, you know, it says pit of, you know, pit of stomach. It's, it's the definition is a, is a feeling of fear and anxiety that's almost tangible because it's right there in our stomach. Now, it could be anxieties about work or family or friends. Uh, it might be difficult decisions that we need to make and we don't know what to do and we're afraid of getting it wrong, especially if it's something important. We're afraid of the consequences of bad things happening when really we need something um, better than that to, to, um, as, as an outcome. If ever we feel like that, if ever we feel like that, then we have the same comfort that the disciples had. We can turn to our Bibles and we can hear Jesus saying to us, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. As it says in 1 Peter 5 and 7, we can cast all our anxiety on him. Why? Because, it says, he cares for us. We were thinking last week about the Lord's promise to never leave us, weren't we? Uh, and how that can be a, a great encouragement at times of difficulty or, or, or disappointment. But we don't need to go just to Matthew 28, verse 20, which is the verse I quoted, but the, the verse that often gets quoted for that, when Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. There are many, many verses that we could turn to um, to get that same encouragement. I'm not going to read many, many verses, but I'm just going to give you a few. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, for example. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. To Isaiah 41 and 10, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. John 14, verse 26, Jesus saying, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And he went on to say, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. And then the last one I've got here is Psalm 32, verse 8. It says, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. That's what the Lord Jesus was doing here, wasn't it? He had them in his loving sight. Why is knowing the presence of the Lord such a comfort? Well, two things, I'm sure there are many other things, but two things, um, kind of high level overarching things. Firstly, the more we know Jesus, how much he loves us and, and, and what he's like, the more that we can trust that he does care for us. That's true even when, for unknown reasons, we go through times of trouble. And of course, we remember that Jesus did say that trouble is an inevitability in the Christian life. In this world, you will have trouble, but, he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. But secondly, 
the more we appreciate who Jesus is, the one with all power and authority, the one who has overcome the world, the more we can trust that he is able, that he is able to care for us. And that was the reassurance that Jesus gave to the disciples, I think. He said, it is I. And interestingly, the words that Jesus, and I don't want to try and read too much into this, but the words that Jesus used there, it is I, in the original language, are exactly the same words that he used on that occasion that I mentioned earlier on in our worship service, when he said, before Abraham was born, I am. Same two words. Jesus used. Now that may well have just gone over the disciples' heads at the moment, but it appealed to me that as Jesus stands there on the, not just a smooth lake, but on the raging waters with all authority over the powers of nature, and he says, it is I. It was an awesome declaration of his ability to save. So, what happened next? Well, as I said, four miracles that night. I'm sure some of you are thinking four. But the second one is the more obvious one, and we, 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 um, we clearly read about that one, and that was in response to Peter's request when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Peter was then allowed by Jesus and enabled by Jesus to walk on the water also. We always think about how Peter took his eye off Jesus and he lost faith and he, he started to, to sink. But really, I think we're a little bit unfair to Peter. I think that what Peter did, what we can learn from Peter is, is almost all positive. Firstly, he was the only one who had the faith and the willingness to ask Jesus to use him in this way. And I don't think Peter was a thrill seeker. I think, you know, I think Peter recognised that knowing that this really was Jesus was the only thing that was going to calm everybody down. And so he was willing to get out of the boat for the benefit of, of himself and for everybody else. Um, he was willing to take a risk for the, for the greater good. I think the challenge for us in that is whether or not we're willing to pray and ask the Lord to put us in harm's way. Or at the very least, to lead us to situations where we feel uncomfortable, anxious maybe, uncertain, fearful, for the sake of the gospel. Um, sometimes maybe we're good at praying that the Lord will strengthen and enable other people to do things. <laughs> but really, we need to pray and ask him to give us the courage, the confidence, the ability to do the scary things ourselves whether that's just to talk to a colleague or a friend or a neighbour about the Lord Jesus and we're worried about the reaction. It doesn't have to be jumping out of a boat um, like Peter did. Secondly, with Peter, he didn't lose faith. He faltered in his faith and there's a difference. Jesus said he had little faith, not no faith. And on another occasion, Jesus said little faith can move mountains. Doubting means having less faith than we ought to have. It doesn't mean having no faith at all. When we have doubts, we shouldn't let them crush us. Um, we should be like the man who came to the Lord Jesus, who wanted his son healed, 
and he just admitted to the Lord Jesus, I do believe, but please help me to overcome my unbelief. And thirdly, in the midst of danger, and despite his fear, we have the model of an effective, trusting, concise prayer. I think maybe we can learn something from that. Verse 30, Lord, save me. Peter didn't try to swim back to the boat. Uh, he just cried out to the Lord. So maybe lessons in prayer for us um, in this are, firstly, well, the obvious one, Peter knew what he needed. Um, but for us, knowing what needs to be prayed for and, and, and why it's important, that's what leads to us having a prayer burden. Kind of a burden about things that we don't know about and if we don't know why they're important. Um, and having a prayer burden is what helps us to pray more earnestly and more passionately about things, you know, like it really matters. So um, we have our, our, um, our, our list of prayer items quite often, don't we, at, 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 our, at our church prayer meetings, and that's a help. And uh, really, the more we can find out about the things that need to be prayed about, but not just as a, a, like a list of news items, but try to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who are in need and imagine how they're feeling and why we should be praying for these things, why it matters, I think that can also be helpful in stimulating a genuine uh, prayer burden. Second point is Peter didn't ask the Lord to keep an eye on him while he tried to swim back. He gave it all over to Jesus, didn't he? He, 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 he came to Jesus, his, his short immediate spontaneous prayer was just filled with dependency he was just going to give it to Jesus to to um to help him uh, we should come to the Lord with a similar kind of dependency shouldn't we not with our plans already in place that we just want a little bit of help with or to put it another way we should seek the Lord's direction before we make our plans not just ask him to bless our mistakes which is sometimes maybe we occasionally do and the third thing he was totally focused and his prayer was very concise wasn't it and there is a time and a place for long prayers um, I think that time and place is in private um, and I know this is easier said than done and I know some of you will be thinking well you're just a bit rich you saying this but really in our assembly prayers we should try to be please all of us who have the privilege and the opportunity of standing up and praying on behalf of the church, we should try and make our prayers more concise and focused. Um, now, of course, that's rather dependent on us having a prayer burden, isn't it? If our prayer burden is focused, then our prayers will be more focused. And we have more than, if we have more than one thing that we would like to pray about, and hopefully we do, then we can pray more than once it is allowed. So, there's three um, points um, in Peter's um, spontaneous action, I think, can help us um, in our prayer lives. But the third miracle. So the third miracle that we um, certainly shouldn't overlook is that when Peter and the Lord climbed back into the boat, it says the wind died down. Now, it's not clear if the disciples had been afraid of drowning like they were in the storm of Matthew 8. But at the very least, the calm that descended on the lake uh, that morning gave them all 
some rest for a while. And as well as showing the Lord's um, complete power over the, over the elements, rest and calm descended on the lake and on the boat. I said there were four miracles. The fourth one's only mentioned in John's account of this. But John also says that immediately they reached the other shore. So I don't know how that felt, how, you know, what, what, how that experience was. I imagine that if they suddenly felt themselves going at 100 miles an hour across the lake, probably they would have met, you know, more of them would have written about that. I think some of them just thought, oh, <laughs> we, were, we, 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 we were further across than we thought we were. <laughs> We've just turned up at the other side. But John, I think, with his insight, spiritual insights, records that as a special thing. I think that was the fourth um, fourth miracle. So when that rest descended on them, that calm, when they got rest, they really did have rest. They didn't have to carry on rowing. They were right there at their destination. Jesus gave them rest. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Now that rest is from the burden of sin, isn't it? And it's a burden that he, can, that he has carried for us in giving his life for us on the, on the cross. But at that same time, he talked about the yoke of service, that the call to faith isn't a call to a life of Riley. It's not a call to a, a life of ease, of not, of not doing anything and just spending all our time just reading the Bible and enjoying the fact that we've got eternal security. It's a, it's a call to service. And like we were thinking last week, sometimes that service might include hard work, tiring work, exhausting work that goes on and on and sometimes perhaps doesn't seem to be um, showing any, um, any fruit. And when we serve the Lord like that, we also need, at times, emotional and physical rest. In Mark's account, um, before all this happened, we read that Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And you know what? They never got it. This was the same solitary place that the Lord Jesus was hoping to find some private time for himself as well. And the people that we read that the people found out about it and they got there ahead of them. So as soon as they landed at this solitary place, it was full of people wanting to be healed and taught. And they hadn't stopped since. They had all of that, then the feeding of the 5,000, then they were rowing across the lake, across um, with, 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 the, with the wind against them. They hadn't had any rest. But now, as I said, in the, in the calm of the morning and in the presence of the Lord, they finally got some rest. We can't strain We can't strain at the oars continually, can we? There's a time for work, and there is also a time for rest. And especially when there's no end to the things that need to be done, we need to discipline ourselves sometimes to, to take that, that rest. Um, if we make time for rest, I've written down here, we'll have more energy to give our best. Bit cheesy, I know, but you know what I mean. So anyway, in conclusion, obviously this event teaches us a lot about 
the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? His identity, his, his character, his, his um, ability to save. But I also like it for what, it, from what we can learn from Peter. Um, he's, part, he's far from perfect, as we, as, as, as we know, but I think he, re- he is a really good role model uh, for us. Uh, he was willing to put himself forward. He took risks and he displayed courage and strength. And although he took his eyes off Jesus briefly, he did recover well, didn't he? You know, spiritual growth comes through experience. And it's been said many times before, I think, that experience is the name that we give to our mistakes, as long as we learn, as long as we learn from them and don't repeat them too many, too many times. But prevention is better than cure, so I'm going to finish with the words of Hebrews 12, because unlike Peter, it's far better if we don't take our eyes off the Lord Jesus in the first place. That is what will help us most effectively and with the least number of hiccups um, run the race that has been set before us. Hebrews 12 um, says at the beginning of the chapter, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the leader and perfecter of faith.